chapter 9. John chapter 9, we're going we're gonna to continue in, in our seri- series, John chapter 9. Our series is entitled In Process, In Process, and the idea is that we are all in process, right? Process of opening up our candy and eating it, yum. But what does it mean to be in process? In, being in process is this. Anything that is in process is taking steps or actions towards a goal, right? Taking steps or actions towards a goal. It's okay that there's lots of noise, and, and, and that's what we invite that. We love that in our family-style worship. I always say, don't worry if your kids are loud. If they can handle me being loud, then I'll handle them being loud. That's how we roll. But being in process, we're all in process. And just like Cody said, I loved what Cody said about our youth ministry, is understanding where you're at in the process. Understanding where you're at with Jesus and what the next step might be for you, um, taking a step towards Jesus is what this is really about. And if you guys remember where we're at right now in this story, John chapter 9, it's towards the end of Jesus' ministry. He's, He's in Jerusalem at the Feast of Sukkot. If you don't know what that is, there's basically seven major feasts that the Bible records, and there's eight by the time Jesus is uh, on the scene. One is called the Feast of Dedications. We're going to see that. Also, most of us know that as Hanukkah, right? Hanukkah is something that Jesus celebrated in his time. We're going to see that in, in, in the next chapter. But they're, at the, but they're somewhere in between the Feast of Sukkot, and which happens like in September or October, and then Hanukkah, which happens in December, And then in the spring, we're going to see the Passover, and that's when Jesus is going to die on the cross. Okay, so we're only about five, six months from Jesus dying on the cross here in chapter 9. And and we've seen at the Feast of Sukkot, which is a very important part of the setting, and we'll see that in the story today, there was two things that were were big symbols for the Feast of Sukkot. One was the the, the Festival of Lights. They would put up these 70-foot candles, which was amazing back then. They didn't have you know, electricity, but they light these huge candles and it would illuminate the city. It was called the Festival of Lights. And in that context, Jesus stands up at, at, in the, wom- the, the, the court of women, which is where this festival took place. And he says, I'm the light of the world, right? He's not just making up random things. He's talking about the Feast of Sukkot and saying, I'm the fulfillment of the Old Testament, things that Moses talked about, things that Abraham, I'm the fulfillment of the Old Testament. I'm the fulfillment of Sukkot, he says. I'm the light of the world. And the next thing he does is he, they, they have this, this, this uh, ceremony of waters during Sukkot where they w- the, the priest would take um, a pitcher, a gold pitcher, very ornate gold special pitcher, like a, a, a thing that holds water, right? And he would walk down to the, to the pool of Siloam, which was a very important pool. He would walk down there and he would scoop up some water and he would bring it back. And it was a part of the ceremony of Sukkot. And what does Jesus say in response to this on the last day of the festival? He says, if anybody is thirsty, come to me and drink. Because that was part of how they, they viewed the, the, this blessing from God, this satisfaction from God, the fulfillment of God's promises and blessing in this water. And Jesus says, I'm the fulfillment of all of that. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. The, 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 the picture is from Isaiah 55, where it says, if you have nothing to give, still come and drink freely. We have nothing to give. This is the context that, 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 that Jesus is speaking at because that's what they're going through. And then it says in John uh, chapter 9, it says, 
as he passed by. So that means he's leaving the temple and he's going somewhere. Somewhere between the temple and the, and the pool of Siloam, Jesus is going to see a blind man. He's going to see a blind man. And he's going to heal him. That's why they did that little exercise, right, with the kids. I wanted you guys to see that when you're blind, even something that seems very simple, like walking over and putting a ball in the basket, it becomes a lot more complicated, a lot more difficult if you're blind or if you're blindfolded. Did you guys experience that, kids? And, and what did you need? You couldn't do it on your own. You needed people's help. You were dependent on the crowd to help you find your way. And that's what would have been going on with this blind man. And we're going to see he was blind from birth. His whole life, he did everything that he did without being able to see. Imagine how hard that would be. And it says, as, he, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciple asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? When you look back in antiquity, which is a fancy word for saying back when Jesus was there, right? When, back when Jesus was born and, and lived in antiquity in the first century in Jerusalem, there was this thought that if, somebody, if something bad happened to somebody, if somebody was blind, for instance, there had to be a reason. And they, and they had a very simple idea. It was either the parents who sinned, and that's the reason that it makes sense that he's blind, or he himself somehow sinned. I don't know how he would do that before he was born, but, but, but at birth he would have been born because of his own sin. And that's a very simplistic way of looking at it, but that's how they thought. And so that's what his disciples asked. They say, who's, sin, who's, who's responsible for this? Who sinned? And it says, uh, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then he says, Jesus says, we must work the works of him who sent me. Isn't that amazing? He goes, we must do the things that God sent me to do. And, and, and so that uh, makes us see that Jesus has a mission and he wants us all to be a part of it. We all are a part of Jesus's mission that's supposed to be our primary goal is not what not what our focus is but what his focus is should become our focus right and so it says uh, we are supposed to do the things that that, that that God has for us to do and he says uh, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day night is coming when no one can work and then he says as long as I am in the world Jesus says I am the light of the world Right. Remember, he's the light, the, these big, huge 70 foot um, uh, candles illuminating. He goes, I'm the light of the world. Now he says it again. I'm the light of the world. It's connected with Sukkot. And he says, having said these things and kids get ready to go like this. Ew. Let's practice. One, two, three. All right. Do you guys think spit is cool? If I spit in your eye right now, how many of you guys would be all would be happy with me? Watch what happens and be ready to go, ew. Right. This is what happens. Having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. I think so, too. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. He puts mud on his eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Remember, Siloam was the same place. That's the same thing that they were doing, right, in, from, from Sukkot. And the word Siloam in Hebrew, it means sent. 
So he went and washed and came back seeing. A blind man, get this, there's this blind guy. He's been blind his whole life, at least 13 years. He's at least 13 years old, we're going to see. And Jesus sees him. He spits in the ground, takes his saliva and mixes it with dirt and makes mud pies and puts it on his eyes. He goes, go down to the pool of Siloam and wash it off. The guy goes down there, he washes it off, and not only is the mud out of his eyes, now he all of a sudden he could see for the first time in his entire life. That's what, he's, that's what happened. This is amazing. This is a good story. You guys agree? I love this story. Now, if this happens, right, people are going to start asking questions, and that's exactly what we see. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Right? He used to be blind. Now he can see. Some said, it's him. Others said, no, but it looks like him. And, he, and the man kept saying, no, I'm the man. It's me. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he said, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes. He left out the spit part. That's a good. He made mud and he anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is this Jesus? He said, I do not know. That's a good story. There's lots of amazing things in this story. Jesus heals a guy. Jesus has compassion for this guy that everybody else thinks like, like he must deserve it. Like they've written him off. And they, in order to feel good about themselves, it, it doesn't make sense unless they must, there must be a reason, right? We all have to have a reason for everything. And, and so he, he must have done something really bad, and so he deserves that. And Jesus says, no, he didn't deserve it. Well, then it doesn't make any sense. And then Jesus has compassion, and he heals him. It's this great story, and then his neighbors are like, what happened? How'd that happen? And the guy testifies. He goes, I don't know that much. I just know this guy, Jesus. He put some mud on my eyes, and now I see. He gives a testimony about Jesus, right? And they don't know what to do with this. And we're going to see, go on in the story. But there's one thing in particular that I want to highlight that I think is super relevant to us. And it's this. How do you handle ha hard stuff? How do you handle hard stuff? Because life's hard. Even if you're a kid, I mean, life could be pretty good, but there's still hard times, right? There's times when you don't get your way and then, you know, throw a temper tantrum, and then that doesn't work, right? And because your parents love you, then it, they don't let it work, right? So you can learn. And if you're an adult, like hard things happen, and Brittany's dad gets ALS, and all kinds of hard things happen, right? My dad passed away. Lots of us have experienced this. You lose a job, or somebody gets sick, or, or, or my daughter right now, Kaylee's at home, you know, and she can barely breathe at night. And I know it's not in the big picture of things, she'll get better, but it's hard to listen to her suffer, you know? And it, hard things happen. And we, we're, we're prone to go, why? Why do hard things happen? Why do bad things happen? Especially, why do bad things happen when it makes no sense to good people? Why do people go too early, right? Why, why does this happen? We all have these questions. And Jesus speaks to them in this story. And, and, and specifically, I'm not going to give you the reason, because I don't know why God does what God does, I don't, or why God allows what God does. I can't answer specifically. And he, can't, he's not, he doesn't give us a satisfactory answer that satisfies all of our questions. But he says there's three ways in this story that you can handle hard stuff. And the first one is this. You can handle it like this. I'm angry and I blame someone for this. 
That's how we, that's how we handle hard stuff sometimes. We, we, we become angry. Hard things happen and they don't make sense. We become angry and we want someone to blame. I do this too. We all do this. Now, here's the thing. It's, okay, it's normal for your first response to be that way. You might get some thoughts that come in your head. Well, God, I'm angry. And, you, and, and what you do with those is important. The Psalms are filled with, with people who, who didn't understand their life and were feeling overwhelmed. And they ran to God and said, God, I don't understand. Why are you allowing this to happen? Why? And that's okay to do that. I always say this. Everybody gets overwhelmed sometimes. But it's where you run that makes the difference. When you get overwhelmed, you'll have these questions. You might feel some anger. How do you deal with that? Do you let it sit? Do you remain angry? Because here's the thing about this story, right? Why does Jesus choose to spit in the ground and, 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 and take the dirt and make it into mud pies and put it on this guy's eyes? There's a, we don't know. There's a couple of reasons why rabbis and, and theologians have, have thought over the years. Some people think that it's a picture of creation. That, that just like God took, created the dirt, and then he took the dirt and he made man out of dirt. Jesus is somehow grabbing this dirt, and, and, and with his own saliva, he's mixing that together and, and, recre- and doing something, recreating this guy's eyes. Some people believe that. We don't know for sure. Some people believe because in antiquity, in that time, there was saliva was thought to have some medicinal purposes. Maybe Jesus is contextualizing the way that they think and trying to say, I'm the one who can actually do these things, can heal. Maybe. We don't know. I think the most obvious and the most relevant idea is this. Keep it simple. He takes mud and he makes it into blindfolds and he puts it on this guy because when you're blind, it's not just black. There's still light. You can still see silhouettes a lot of times. And he takes it and he actually makes him worse. He makes him worse before he makes him better. And then he makes him obey and do this task even worse than he's normally used to before he heals him. And I like that because I've felt that before. You ever felt like sometimes God makes it worse. He allows it to get worse before he lets it get better. We don't know why he does that, but this is how God is, and sometimes our response is to get angry at God or to get angry at someone else. Is it the parents that we can blame? Who are you going to blame? It's my parents. My parents are the r- responsible for this. A lot of racial tension stirs up this way. We, we hurt or we, we lose or, 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 or things happen, and we got to have someone to blame. We blame that group of people. That group of people is the problem with America today, <laughs> right? No, no. That's not the way to think. And, of course, sometimes we can really find, we can justify our anger that way. We can say, yeah, they really did do something. Some people really do do evil things to us. But here's the thing. Is it helpful to hold on to that? Is it ever helpful to us to hold on to that? It never is. That's why Jesus talks about forgiveness so much. Because when we, when we live our lives angry and blaming someone else, it, it, it keeps us in bondage. And forgiveness is actually a pathway to freedom. Forgiveness is a pathway to freedom. So that's one way. If you don't blame someone else, the next way is we say, I'm guilty, I'm to blame, I blame myself. And we get stuck in guilt and shame. That's what we see in this story, right? If it's not the parents, then who is it? And it's me. I'm the reason why I'm blind, he would have thought. 
Am I the reason, God? Am I not good enough? Did I do something wrong? We can feel like that. Now here's the thing. Everybody has regrets. The enemy can attack you like that because everybody could point to something and say, there's, I, I, I'm not perfect, so there's a reason. I could blame myself. But when you wallow in your guilt, even if you are guilty, even if you have experienced consequences for your sin, God does not want you to get stuck in that guilt and shame. As a matter of fact, Jesus came for that very reason, to free us from guilt and shame. So if you're in bondage to your past, in guilt and shame, God does not want that for you. And there's a third way that Jesus says, he says, it's not best to think of it that the parents sinned. It's not best to think of it that he sinned. He gives an, an, an alternative that's actually the only healthy alternative. To feel like this, I am his and he will use this. I'm his and he will use this. To see yourself in God's hand. And it's very important that you see this, that God, God's hand is not something that creates evil. God never does anything evil. God never makes anyone sin. Why do bad things happen? God doesn't, I don't believe that God ever, nothing evil comes from God's hand. Evil in the big picture is a consequence of original sin. It is because of sin. But on the micro level, it's not because of this person's sin or that person's sin that we're going to blame. But to see that evil happens and, and, and it doesn't come from God's hand, but that God puts us in his hand. And he's able to take even evil, bad things and hard things, and he's able to use them all for our eventual good and for his glory. God is able to use hard things. And so I say it like this, God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a hurt. And we have a choice to make. We've all had hard things happen to us. Will we, will we get stuck in unforgiveness and blame? Will we get stuck in guilt and shame? Or will we nail all of that to the cross and surrender and say, God, I'd rather go through hard things with you and let you use them for good than go through them alone and be angry with you and run from you all my life. What will we do? What will our response be how will you handle hard things is an important part of this story. And then we see this. The neighbors, they, they ask questions. They want to figure out who, what's wrong with him. He says, I was, Jesus did something to me and now I can see. They don't know what to do with that because they're, 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 they're very aware that, not, that, that the Pharisees don't like Jesus. As a matter of fact, the, the Pharisees want to kill Jesus. The Pharisees want to find Jesus doing something wrong so that they can have a reason to accuse him and, and, and kill him, right? And so they're looking for a reason. And so they take this blind man that was blind, now he can see, and they want to take him to the Pharisees. They take him to the Pharisees, and they say they brought, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, how he had received the sight. How'd you get healed? He, they asked the blind man. And he said to them, Jesus put mud on my eyes. I washed. And now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this Jesus is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a, a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. 
So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about Jesus since he opened your eyes? And the blind man said, Jesus is a prophet. Right? Though, though they're, remember, the Pharisees are trying to find Jesus. They're trying to catch him doing something bad. They're trying to bust him. Oh, you're busted. Right? And so they think they've got something here because Jesus heals this guy. It, it happens to be the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day when you're supposed to do no work. And the Pharisees said, I, we better define what work is then. And they came up with 39, 39 exactly, things that constitute work. So it's called the oral tradition. It's not in the Bible. It's stuff that they had made up to try to, to, try to uh, obey the Bible. They made it up themselves. And one of those things was there was a, there was a stipulation that if somebody is hurt and it's a life or death situation on the Sabbath, you can help somebody for a life or death situation. Now they would say, this guy's blind from birth. How could you call this life or death? He could have done it any day. He's not going to die for it. He's just uncomfortable. He could just wait till tomorrow. Wait till the end of the Sabbath. And he didn't. Therefore, they could say he, he, he did something wrong on the Sabbath. He didn't really, but they, they could, based on their own rules, they, that's how they were thinking. The next thing's kind of interesting. There was one of the 39 rules that said you can't knead, right? Kneading is like when you knead bread, you, you take all the ingredients and you, and, you, and you squeeze it together. Well, they had interpreted it like this. Anything, any, when, you, when you mix two elements together and you make something, that's kneading. Jesus took spit with dirt and mixed it together, and they said, ah, he's busted. He broke one of our 39 rules, right? And so they had, they, they had, they had justified in their mind, he's a sinner. How could, he, how could he be from God if he's a sinner? That doesn't make any sense, right? And it says the neighbors and those who had, uh, I'm sorry, it says uh, uh, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. So if they can't find Jesus doing something bad, which they think that they have, they want a backup plan. And can we really prove that this guy was blind, or is Jesus faking it? Is he a faker? So what do they do? They go to his parents, and they ask, Is your son, who you say was born blind, how then does he see? (laughs) His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. They say, ask him, he's of age. In Jewish, that means he was at least 13. He's probably a little older than that, but he's at least 13 years old. He's of age, you ask him. He will speak for himself. Is that good parenting? I don't know, I would wish my parents would back me up a little bit more than that. It's on him, like you ask him, right? And then it tells you why, though. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Now, the question I'm thinking is, here's Jesus, he's awesome, right? Jesus is great, he's being great. He's saying great things, he's, he's making, he's proving, like, I'm, I'm, the, I'm not changing your your, 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 the stuff you love, the rules, the, I'm not changing the law, I'm fulfilling it. And he's showing them in detail. And then he heals this guy, this blind guy. He does a miracle. How, how, could, that, how could you say that's bad, right? And, but they still reject him. It's, it's amazing, right? And why my question from this story is, why do, with all that we can see about Jesus, why do people still reject him? It's a more complex issue. It's a complex issue. Why do some people reject Jesus? Now, 
In letter A in my notes, from this story, we see this. Some are hard-hearted, right? They say, this man is not from God. In other words, they're saying, we have a picture of what we want God to be like, and he doesn't fit in that box. Jesus doesn't fit in our God box. So we're rejecting him. And they're hard-hearted. For whatever reason, they've already decided that they're not going to believe Jesus. It doesn't matter what Jesus does at this point. They're hard-hearted. You ever find that to be true with some of the people that you love? and You're telling them about Jesus. It's like, I have such great proof. All of these great things that I, but, but it doesn't matter how great your proof is. It's like there's something going on deep inside of them. They've already closed the door. They've already hardened their heart. They've already said, I am not going to believe. And that's what some of these Jews have done. They've said, I, it doesn't matter what happens from this point on. He's a bad person. We don't believe him. They've hardened their heart. It's the very thing they need, which is amazing. They need Jesus so badly, and, and they're, suffering, they're suffering in their pride. Rejecting him only leads to suffering, and yet they just would rather suffer than humble themselves and find love and joy and peace. It makes no sense from our perspective, but, but the way that the enemy works, it, it, it makes sense. And then some are half-hearted. They believe in Jesus, but they won't commit for some reason. Some are hard-hearted. They refuse to believe. Some believe. They say, well, 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 how could he be a bad person if he's doing these great things and all the things he's saying make so much sense and he's actually connecting it for us, but they still don't take that next step and follow him. Why? Well, it's still the case today. We have people who are hard-hearted. They won't believe. We have people, even in the church, who are one foot in and one foot out. They believe, but they still hold on to areas in their life where they won't surrender to him. They still keep a piece of their life for themselves. I believe he's real. I believe he's who he says, but I'm not going to let it change my life. It makes really no sense from God's perspective, but we see it every day. Some of us experience it, and I could say this, no judgment here because I've been all of these guys. I hardened my heart for a long season, and I just wouldn't believe. And then I went through times where I knew it was true, but I wouldn't follow. And there's one last reason. Some fear rejection, and that's the parents. The parents see what happened. They know who did it. They say, we don't know who did it. Ask him. He's 13. 13! Now ask him! He's been blind his whole life. Now ask him. He, he, could, he could talk for himself because they were af- more afraid of what the people thought than what God thinks. And I can relate to that. If you're in junior high, man, it is one of the hardest seasons of your life. God bless you. We're praying for you. And peer pressure is hard. And you go to school and you tell people you love Jesus and it is hard. And we get that. And we love you. We're praying for you. And keep fighting. It's okay. We love you. Um, but here's the thing. Ultimately, what God thinks is most important. And though everybody not like you or everybody make fun of you, if God is with you and for you and happy with you and you're doing what's right, then it will all work out and you're going to see that you've made the better choice. I didn't always do that in my life and I've learned the hard way, but that is the best path to go. Always trust the Lord. The parents don't do that. So some are hard-hearted. 
Some are half-hearted. Some fear what other people think more than they fear God, and that's why they reject Jesus. And then we go on to this dynamic. Now, in John chapter 3, it's not up on the screen, but I'm going to read this. In John chapter 3, Jesus says something very interesting about light. And he says, I'm the light of the world. And he says something very interesting about light. And we're going to see it come to life here at the end of our story. And I want to just share with you real quick. Jesus goes, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's where judgment is really important because Jesus in our story is going to go, I'm the judge. And he's not saying I'm here to judge and, and make people feel bad. He's, he's connecting it with this. He's saying, I'm the truth. I'm, I'm, I, I, what I say is right. I, I, when people meet me, they see the truth. They like it or they don't. But he is who he is. So he says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus. Jesus has come into the world like light. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. There's a reason. They don't want their works to be exposed. They, they don't want their shame to be. See, here's the thing, right? In the beginning, we realized some people get angry at others. And a lot of us do that. And, and a lot of us get angry, and, and like we blame ourselves and we feel guilty. But who's kidding? Most of us do both of them at the same time. We do it all. Anything, we just package this together. And when you feel guilty, it's normal to hide. That's what happened in Adam and Eve, right? They sinned and they felt shame and they hid from God. They didn't want him to see, they tried to cover it up. What do we cover it up with? Makeup, clothes, try to change our attitude. We get a magazine, seven ways to be cool, and we just do all the steps and then everyone will think we're cool, right? We, we got to have this, mom, I got to have this toy. I got to have this skateboard. I got to have those shoes or they'll say I'm a dork, right? That's what I used to say to my mom, and it worked sometimes, right? <laughs> and, and, and I don't want my kid to be a dork because then they'll make me a dork. It just follows through, right? Uh, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's just hiding from God because we don't want to be exposed. We, most of us feel like this. If anyone knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. I don't want people to know the real me. I want to figure out how to present myself as the one that they're going to like. And that's part of what growing up feels like, right? Like figuring out what people like and don't like and then only doing what they like because we want a response. We want positive response, positive feedback. Any people pleasers in here? I hate when people don't, aren't happy with me. I hate being rejected. And this is all, these are all powerful forces is what I'm saying. And so it makes sense, right? For everyone who does wicked things, which we all do, hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. And then you're exposed, and then you feel, you feel exposed, and that feels horrible. And he says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Carried out in God, meaning he took care of them. That's the other response, is that we bring them, we let Jesus expose them so that he can take them, that he can nail them on the cross, forgive all of our sins and make us white as snow, make us pure, make us clean in his eyes. That's the other response. So we have this idea that Jesus comes into the world like light. Some people don't like the light. Like, like sometimes light helps you see, right? If we turn the lights off, we would realize I'm thankful for the light. I could see, I could read, I could do those things. If there's no light, you can't do that. But there's another response. Have you ever guys ever went to the movies during the day? Here's the thing. You go to the movies during the day, right? And it's dark in there and your eyes adjust to it, okay? And then you come outside and it's bright. What does it feel like? Ah, I hate the light, 
It hurts my eyes until your eyes adjust. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. Like when Jesus comes into your life, it exposes you. And you feel the guilt and the shame. Peter felt that. When Jesus met him, he goes, get away from me. I'm a horrible person. I'm, I'm a bad person. Get away from me, Jesus. When he, and then Jesus reaches out and he says, it's, it's Peter. Peter, I know everything about you and I still love you. I know everything about you and I still love you. I think some of us in this room might have some things that we just, we just need to let them out. You just need to stop hiding the light comes, the light is good. It feels bad, but it's good. Sometimes it feels bad, but it's good. And you need to hear Jesus say this. I know what you did, and I still love you. And to hear him say, there's nothing, I love you, there's nothing you could do to make me love you any less. There's nothing that you could do to make you love me, me love you anymore. I just flat out love you. But come out of hiding and follow me. That's the invite, but not everybody receives it. And says, says, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. That's a way of saying, tell the truth. We know you're lying. Tell the truth. Jesus is a sinner, right? And so they, they, they go on, and, and they, and they want to just follow this. They're hard-hearted, and they say, they say, he answered, whether Jesus is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, though, I was blind, but now I see. And they said to him, what did, what, what did he do to you? What did he do to you? Tell us the truth. How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples, too? <laughs> they expose their motive. He exposes their motive. You guys aren't asking questions because... You want to know the truth. You're asking questions because you've already, you, you only have one answer that you'll accept. You want to believe that he did something bad, but he didn't. Why do you keep asking me? I, are you going to keep asking me again and again until you get the answer you want? Have you ever had that, like at work, where, where you're in a corrupt system, trying, someone's trying to trap you? You just keep asking the same question until you get your right answer, but you're never going to get it because I, I'm only going to tell you the truth. Right? That's the position that he's in. And they say, you're his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. Right? They go on. We follow Moses. You're not following Moses. No, in truth, if Moses was there today, he would have followed Jesus. If Abraham was there, Moses and Abraham point to Jesus. If you're Jewish and you become a Christian, you're more Jewish than ever. You don't stop being Jewish. Right? And he says, and they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. <laughs> we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a, a man born blind. If this man were not from God, if Jesus wasn't from God, he couldn't do this. They answered him, you were born blind in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Even though he's making perfect sense, they're just so prideful they can't listen. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out and, and, found, and, and having found him. I love that. 
Jesus comes and finds them. They reject him. What does Jesus do? He receives him. And he, and he said, uh, and Jesus says to him, do you believe in the son of man? The, the man that was blind said, and who is this, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world. Right, he's going from, from, from uh, John chapter 3, remember, in judgment the light comes in. Judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Jesus knows that he's going to come. Some people are going to see the truth and receive it. Some people are going to feel naked. They're going to hide from God, and they're going to continue in their sin, and they're going to be more blind. Some of the Pharisees near him said, uh, heard these things and said, Are we also blind, Jesus? Jesus said to them, Nope, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. In other words, you've heard the gospel. You've heard the truth. If you reject it, knowing the truth, that's on you. But if you receive it, you will find life. You will hear Jesus say, I know what you did, and I still love you. Come follow me. Though the world may reject you, God will never reject you. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so there's this progression. We'll have the worship team come back up. There's this progression that happens in this guy's life and in the Pharisees. The light comes into the world. They respond differently. And, and you, would, you would ask this question, letter A, will you cling to your old life? They cling to their old life. They say, oh, I'm going to follow Moses. That's their old life. For you, you probably don't use those, that language. But you might ask this, if I follow Jesus, do I have to stop doing so-and-so? People might ask. If I follow Jesus, do I have to lose my old life? Yes. Jesus says if you try to hold on to your old life, you'll actually lose the better life that he offers. But if you give up your old life, your guilt and your shame, if you nail it to the cross, you'll receive new life, better life. We're going to talk about next week an abundant life that he talks about. And so, will you cling to your old life, or B, will you receive your new life? How do we deal with guilt? There's only one remedy. Nail it to the cross. Let Jesus pay for it, and then it's done, and then move on. Follow him with new life. Will you turn to him and, and be forgiven? And we found out in, in, in through the Gospels that Jesus keeps bringing up this idea that when we've been forgiven much, when we realize what God has done for us, that he's died on the cross, taken all of our shame and guilt, and that, that he's nailed it to the cross, that he no longer counts it against us, and that he looks at us and says, there's now nothing you can do to make me love you any less. There's nothing you could do to make me love you anymore. I just love you because of what Jesus did on the cross if you receive that. And you find forgiveness, and it leads to worship. Lastly, there's this progression that happens with this blind man. Four things he says about Jesus. He says four things about Jesus. At first, they asked him, who healed you? He goes, the man called Jesus. That's where he starts off in this day. The man called Jesus. Next, 
They keep asking him, and he keeps telling his story. And it's like the more he tells his story about what God does, it's doing something within him. Then he goes, you know what? He's more than just a man called Jesus. He's a prophet. He's a prophet, he says. That's the second thing he says. And then they keep asking him, and he keeps telling his story. He keeps remembering what Jesus did to him, for him. The the third thing he says is is, is he's a man sent from God. Now Jesus is a man sent from God, and then, then he has an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus pulls it. He goes, do you believe in me? He goes, who, 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 who should I believe in? He goes, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. I'm the Savior. I'm Lord and Savior. And lastly, he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Where are you at? Like Cody said with our kids, all of us should do that same thing. Where are you at with Jesus? Where are you at with your shame and your guilt? What will you do with it? Life's always hard. It's not a promise that if you follow Jesus, life will get easy. It might even get harder. But I would rather go through hard times with Jesus and with you guys than without him and without you guys. So I want to pray and then let's worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the kids that are here today. We thank you for the adults the adults that are here today. We thank you for this church. We thank you for your word. I don't know how you've been ministering to each of us individually this morning, but I I know that you have been. Holy Spirit, would you just finish that work as we prepare for worship? Would Would you speak words of life to us? Would you would you knock on our doors? Would would you give us the courage to invite you in? For some of us, there's chambers that we've kept you out of for for a long time. We're afraid to let you in because we don't want to be exposed. But we need you in those places, Jesus. And we can trust you in those places. Nothing is too big for you. I pray that you would just come, that you would meet us in a real way. That we would walk out of here not knowing all of the answers like this guy, but we would be able to say, one thing I know, (laughs) I was the way I was, but I had an encounter with Jesus today, and I am different. Amen.